0: I'm continuously surprised that we would be more grieved this week than last week. I wasn't expecting it. Perhaps it's my optimistic demeanor that, uh, that I never want to think of us as having to grieve more, and I'm always kind of hoping for a rosy future, uh, thinking, you know what, man, that was a terrible week. It'll be better next week. And yet, here we are. I recall now fondly, You know, not just back January a year ago, what I was hoping for for 2020, but even in November, just two months ago, I mean, I met with the deacons to talk about restarting Sunday school this month. We were saying, all right, that'll probably be good. Uh, And then the uh, cases spiked way up. We had a few in our congregation, and so we did the right thing and just pulled back everything like we said we would. uh, So we didn't spread around COVID a lot in our congregation. I'm glad with our procedures, but I'm sad that we had to do it. And then this past week, even as I'm thinking about, perhaps we can meet in person again soon. Separate from COVID altogether, there was the uh, tragedy, uh, just terrible acts in our Capitol building this past week. And we're all grieving from that, too. Everyone who loves order, law, peace, which means all Christians at least, though many others as well, are grieving to see our democratic processes threatened. There are a whole lot of hot takes out there about this, and I don't think you need another one from me. What I can speak to you is the Word of God. And what I can tell you today is minimally, although uh, proper answers about what happened this past week will come with time and with more clear information, uh, will come with change, will come as emotions start to uh, calm down a little bit and we can think clearly. I can tell you what you ought to do as a Christian uh, who lives in America, and that is to grieve and to pray to our powerful God that the kind of freedom that allowed us to freely come to trust Christ and gather to worship would be extended to our children and grandchildren, uh, that that sort of peace and freedom would uh, not leave this world but continue on for their sake. Today... Even before all that happened this week, I had planned on giving us a Sunday for remembering, uh, realizing that we regularly need a time to go back to the very basics of our faith for memory's sake. Uh, the deacons will meet next Monday, and one of the things they'll do, since we have three new deacons coming on, is we'll go through deacon orientation of course, saying, here's how we do deacons at Telethe. here's the things we expect, here's the things we don't expect, here's what you ought to be thinking about. Uh, and amongst those three, we have one who's been a deacon before, uh, and a chairman of deacons. But we still all, not just the new guys, but everybody, go through the annual deacon orientation, because we need to remember, because we forget. There's an interesting phenomena that happens at my house, and I know it only happens at my house, But uh, Meredith asks me to do something, and I say, sure, sure, sure. And not two minutes later, she will say, Jordan, what did I ask you to do? And I have no idea. (laughs) She'll tell me. Poor, sweet, long-suffering Meredith could tell me, "This uh, this is what I need you to do for me. What did I ask you to do for me? And suddenly I'm exposed to have no more attention span than one of our children. And it happens entirely too often. But that's not the worst of it. It gets even worse. I, and again, I know this is just me and in my house, I regularly will walk out to the garage and stand there on the steps of the garage and have no idea why I've gone there. I can't even remember what I'm trying to do, let alone what somebody else is trying to get me to do. It's funny and I know it's relatable because you've done this too. Uh, I may be an absent-minded professor type, but we're all absent-minded at some point. And yet, I mean, it's funny, but it's terrifying to think that it's entirely possible that we would live for entire seasons of our life like that, standing on the stoop, not sure why we're here, why we came into this season of life, why we're even doing what we're doing. It's, it's actually kind of terrifying, a nightmare to think about it, that some people will live their lives, months, years, whole seasons, standing there not exactly sure or able to remember why they started off in this direction at all, just spinning their wheels. I know this has happened to me for seasons of my life where I set out to do some good ministry work for God, and yet I was derailed by things that happened, distracted, and forgot to do what I set out to do. And so that's the purpose of this Sunday, that we could remember why we're here, that we should regularly remind ourselves and each other, because we forget COVID or not, but because of COVID. Uh, Political unrest or not, but because of political unrest. Let us not be distracted, but remember what has Christ, our Lord, commanded us to do? What are we supposed to be doing right now? This is what we need to know and hear. And so we go back to the very basic verse of our faith, the very center verse of being the kind of Christians we are, of being Baptists really. And that one verse that we take as the center of our life is Matthew 28:19. Do you know it? You probably do. It's the Great Commission. Matthew 28:19. And it's important that we understand, of course, all verses, the whole Bible, is the word of God for us. But it shouldn't be unusual for us to recognize that after Christ came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again victorious, the one command he left for his disciples and so all disciples until he returns is the center verse for our faith. It's not like we've picked one out randomly this is the one he left us he gave it to us very simply for our sake so we could hold on to it and remember it and he put so much into one short verse the context is christ has risen from the grave the disciples are curious what's about to happen next and they say to him okay jesus when are you going to restore the nation of israel They want their beloved nation to have peace and unity and restoration in Christ. And that's what they're thinking about at the moment. They're steered properly by the prophecies of the Old Testament that that will happen. That God is sovereign over their nation and all the nations. But Christ's answer to them is, no, no. It's not for you to know the dates and times on that. But all power, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And so here's what you're going to do now, he says to them. And he gives it to them very simply. And what does he say? You already know the verse, many of you. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the of the age. Matthew 19 and 20. What does he say to them? A short series of commands with some very new information for them. He says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to the nations. You're going to make disciples. You're going to baptize in the name. And you're going to know that I am with you until the very end. You remember Last Sunday, when we looked at Psalm 88, that time when we feel alone, here's a promise I am with you till the very end, is what Christ says to his disciples and to all disciples. He is with us also. Let's take a look even briefly at these because this is what we're supposed to be doing, and let us recenter on what we're supposed to be doing, undeterred and not derailed by these present difficulties in this world. First, He says, go to the nations. Take a quick survey of our time together. I've been here five years, so that's the amount of time I survey. How have we been doing at our going to the nations? I'm awfully proud of us and how we've been doing. In the five years that I've been here, we've gone to five nations. Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, Canada, and the United States. Five. We've gone to some of those multiple times. We support missionaries regularly who are in some of those. Had it not been for COVID, we would have also gone to France this past year. Instead, we're simply sending financial support to our missionary who's already there so that the gospel work goes on even while we can't. I'm proud of how we've done this. Congregation, we've taken this verse and we've applied it as quickly and as faithfully as we can to go to the nations Number one, we're going to make disciples, but the first thing is that we have to go to the nations to do it. And we have, and we will. Even in the midst of this bad year, I'm proud of how we did it. Not only were we funding Annie Armstrong, our mission offering to send other church planters like us to different uh, cities around our nation. Annie goes to the North American Mission Board. But we also just finished giving to our live offering. We did almost $5,000 for that one, and that goes straight to our international missionaries. It's possible that you missed your chance to give to the Lottie Moon offering, given all that was going on in the past month. Uh, You still can if you need to. The drop box is still in that slot right there. The mailbox is still a locking mailbox, so you can drop it in there. Either way, if you need to give something to Lottie that goes to the international missions, uh, our treasurers have already sent our December offering to that. But if you missed it, we'll send another check. Uh, to make sure that happens. We can go to the nations even by supporting our brothers and sisters who are there right now doing good ministry work. And also, I mean, we as a congregation give each year in excess of $50,000 to our cooperative program, which goes to both the seminaries and a few other things. That is primarily to support missionaries. So we've supported even while we can't go. We've continued in prayer and financing and support and love and paying attention to care for those nations around us. And while I'm kind of shell-shocked about how much I've planned to do and get restarted in the last few months that have had to then be shut down and brought back down a notch, even one of our staff members this week was saying to me, okay, uh, are we going to start planning mission trips for 2021? (laughs) And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, But they reminded me, our sweet mission-hearted staff, (laughs) this staff member, she reminded me. If we're all vaccinated by the end of the summer, then we need nine months anyway to plan a trip. If we're going to go by Thanksgiving of 2021, then we ought to start planning it. We might have to cancel it, but if we don't start planning it, then we won't be able to go then. So perhaps it is already time to start planning and thinking about uh, going at that time. The first thing that we've got to do to fulfill the commands that Christ had given us is to go to the nations. We have to keep our eye on this as a congregation that we're always doing it. The second thing that we have to do is make disciples. Jesus says to those first ones, go to the nations and make disciples. This can be a difficult one because of definitions. What exactly is a disciple? Are you a disciple? How do you know? Is there a checklist of things that you do to be a disciple? How exactly do you make a disciple? In addition, we've created a new verb that wasn't a verb, that is, discipling. That wasn't traditionally the English language, but has become awfully popular now, so I suppose it is. How does one do discipling? Do you have to meet together for a certain amount of times? I think what will help us in doing the work of making disciples is understanding what a disciple is. And I think this verse, these two verses, give us everything that we need to define disciple. What's a disciple? Well, it is somebody who is baptized in the name and who is being taught all of the commands of God. He says, go and make disciples baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to be obedient to everything I've commanded. So what else is a disciple except by this very basic definition given to us by Christ himself, one who is baptized, that is, has believed and chosen to follow Christ, and so we baptize them, and is continually being remembered or taught for the first time all that Christ wants us to know, all that has been taught to us in Scripture. That's what a disciple is. So making disciples is teaching people to trust Christ and be converted so that they're baptized, which is the visible representation of that conversion. And then teaching them in this lifelong process of both teaching and remembering and learning new what Christ has taught us. So are you a disciple? If you've been baptized... the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and are being taught to obey, then yeah. And what's the work that's set out for us to do? Make disciples. So is the ministry work that we're doing leading to people being baptized and being taught to obey everything that he commands? And everything can be measured by this. As far as how we measure ourselves on this one as a church... We've joyfully gotten to together baptize quite a few people in the last few years. Although, as a congregation, the number of baptisms that we did in 2020 was zero, and I'm grieved at this number. All is not lost. There were plenty more, and there are many of you here today who have committed to baptism they have trusted Christ and already have this proper relationship and are following him, but because of COVID are simply waiting on a proper time to be baptized. And this is okay. All's not lost. We've still been doing the good work of disciple making. But I'm also grieved any anytime the baptistry is empty. It's a testimony to us, against us. We can say we're doing a lot of things, but are we doing this work that we were commanded to do? Our church... Is excellent in so many ways. I have only love and very little criticism. I don't have any criticism for you and the good work that you guys are doing. I think our church is incredible. I'll say it. I think you guys are incredible at caring for each other. I don't think there are other churches as good at reaching out and ministering and taking care of each other as you guys are. I think our church is incredible at loving neighbors. I think our church is incredible administering to the least of these in the world, and none of that will ever be despised by Christ. This is good work and we're not supposed to stop doing it. We just need to recognize in ourselves that sometimes we have a propensity to let good things push out of the way the great things that we're specifically commanded to do. In that, it is possible to, done, to have done lots of caring and loving of congregation members as we're supposed to do, but to allow that to give us a reason to say, well, I didn't go make disciples, but I did do this. Isn't that good? When the command we were left from Christ was to go to the nations, make disciples, baptize, and teach obedience. Again, I'm not here to chastise so much as to say, let us keep our eyes fixed not just on all the good things that we could be doing because there's a lot and we're doing them and you guys are fantastic, but let us always remember that because we're sinful, we have a tendency to take good things and allow them to push us push out of the way what we were actually commanded to do. An illustration that I like to use regularly on this and so I've used before is, if I ask my children to go clean their room say, alright children, here's what I want you to do, go clean your rooms And I leave the house for a little while to go do some yard work. And I come back in and I say, did you clean your room? And they say, no, but, but, we washed the dishes. We took out the trash. What would I say to my children? That's great. I'm proud of you. Those are good things. Thank you. But why haven't you done what I commanded you to do? Let us not slow down for a minute on our works of righteousness, on the goodness that we do to each other, to those around us, to our neighbors, not for a moment. Let us just accelerate and do more and more. Let's just simply recognize in ourselves the same sort of propensity as a child to allow even good things to distract us from doing what we're called to do and made for doing And let us remain faithful to that which we were called to do. Go to the nations, we're to make disciples, and then we're to do it in the name. You know, as many times as we've talked about this passage, something I've never talked about, because I haven't spent much time thinking about it, is that this verse, two verses, 19 and 20, this short passage is not just where Christ gives us in a very uh, concentrated place everything that we're supposed to be doing till Christ returns, but it's also the primary revelation of who God is. So much is packed into such a small piece. This verse very much mirrors Moses in front of the burning bush. As Moses is called by God to go and set people free. God appears to Moses in in a fiery bush. And this is Moses' commissioning ceremony. He is before a holy God on holy ground, and now he's commissioned and given a command by God of what he is supposed to do. Go to Pharaoh and tell him it's time to set my people free. And at that time, God also reveals his name to Moses. Moses says, Who am I supposed to say I'm going in? Whose name am I going in? Who am I supposed to say is sending me? And God reveals himself to Moses by saying, Here's the name you're going to give me. Here's the name you're going to proclaim to the nation, to Egypt. I am Yahweh. That loosely translated, I'm the God that is. I'm the God who is present. I'm the God who was and is and always will be. I am that God, the real one. Likewise, here, Jesus Christ, the resurrected God, the one who is and is alive, the only God who is standing in front of them and in front of all humanity, says to them, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go and proclaim freedom to people who are enslaved by sin. Go and proclaim that I have freed all of them and they're welcome into my kingdom. To leave the kingdom of the world and go on their own exodus to follow me and be a part of mine. And he tells them what name they're supposed to go in. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Very, very simple questions. You can do the sleuthing work yourself. You ready? I've given you most of the answers. Here we go. What name did Moses go in? The name of Yahweh. If any of your children in the back seat got that one right, you can give them a gold star sticker. Got another easy one for you. What name... Do the disciples go in? It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who tells Moses the name that he is to go in and the command. It's God who identifies himself as Yahweh and who tells the disciples to go to the nations and baptize. It's the Son, Jesus. But, here's the real question. How many names are we baptizing in? This one was new to me. I thought about having you give a little honk, honk, honk uh, to answer this question. How many names... Are we to baptize in? But don't hog, because you've got to think about it carefully. It's actually maybe a little harder than you thought it was. This is easy. You don't have to be a theologian. Just read it grammatically. Jesus says to go and baptize in the name, it's one. He doesn't say names. This never struck me as odd until I started reading this, I think, properly, the way Christ wants us to read it. He doesn't say, go and baptize in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'll go ahead and let you know, neither in Greek nor English nor in any other language. This is always singular. If you were to do something in the names of Jordan, Richard, Tim, and Bob, it would be names. I don't say you don't go do it in the name of Jordan, Richard, Tim, and Bob. There's four of us. But it is important That we are baptized in the name, singular, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And go back to that earlier question we asked, who's talking? This is God himself, Jesus Christ, who is revealing. As he had previously revealed himself as Yahweh, now he's giving us even clearer a name. so says, you can call me Yahweh, the God that is. I still am the God that is. But even more specifically now as as you go throughout scripture God is revealing himself more and more completely to us. It says now you're going to go in the name singular Father, Son and Holy Spirit plural. Doesn't quite work grammatically because our God is greater and beyond us and is not bound by logic for us. Suffice it to say, the one God that we worship is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I think even the order here is important. He is one and three. The name, but three. Now, sometimes we can tend to get a little, uh, (laughs) we can lose each other when we're talking about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because it's essentially beyond our understanding. God can't be controlled by us mentally. Y'all are some sharp people out there. I like to think I'm awfully smart. But God is beyond our ability to have conquered him by knowing him completely. Our knowledge is, at the end of the day, our ability to know things is limited. It's vast, But there's still a limit in that we can't conquer God by knowing him completely. Still, he reveals himself to us. And we are to know him as he reveals himself to us. We all have a tendency to kind of glaze over in our eyes about this point and say, okay, get back to what I could do. Bird, just lay it on me straight. (laughs) What do I need to do? And it's right. There's no sense in talking about these things without the clear command. What does it mean for us? that we worship a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What are we to do about this? It won't simply be enough for us to say in sort of an apologetic way, see, we're not like the Mormons. It's going to have to be more than that. So what are we to do because of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? There's a couple of applications. Because God has revealed himself like this, because Jesus has told us that we are to go and to do in the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, There's several applications. There's an application for prayer. There's an application for humility, as we see how the Son relates to the Father. There's an application for missions. You know, there's an application for our unity. There's an application for how we treat each other, husband and wife. If to be made man and woman is both to be created in the image of God then there's an application there for how we're to relate, let alone our relationship as families and our relationship as a congregation. There's an application about action, how things are done together always by the will of the Father, the actions of the Son and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So there's an application on how we are to go about doing things together. All of this we'll talk about one day or another. One application that I want to focus on for us today is the application of obedience. Jesus Christ says, all authority on heaven and earth, all of it has been given to me. Jesus, who declares himself equal, of the same name as the Father, says that he was obedient to the will of the Father, even to death, in the garden, saying, if there's another way, let's do it another way, yet not my will but yours be done. This one who is one with the Father was obedient to the will of the Father, although not needing to be. And it is in his obedience that we find our path forward, what are we supposed to do today given that we are at work in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, let us not demand our own way, but make room for the will of God as well. And second, let us give our life for those who are not our own. If this is God, If Yahweh God reveals himself even further to say, you know me by the name Yahweh, now you're going to know me by the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then we are to recognize that this God has always been at work and that Christ is at work and has commanded us to be at work for other people who are not our people. Christ came down and took us on. We were not his in the way that we were children of wrath. And he took us and remade us children of grace. We weren't interested. We were far away from him. We were cursing his name. And he came and brought us in and made us his. And if his view has been one of obedience to focus on those who are not his, then that will be our view as well. We together as a congregation will fulfill the command of God by... And only by going to the nations, making disciples, which is to say, baptizing in the name, and teaching all of his commands and all that he said, moreover, teaching how to obey these things. Our scaffolding experiment. I realize maybe a little askew and that I can feel the nice warming sun on the back of my head so I might be glowing to you guys uh, in the sunlight. We'll keep working at it till we get it right, but man, i tell you what, it feels good right now <laughs> on me. Here's our conclusion today. Just as Christ left in order to bring more people in, just as he called Peter to focus his life now As Peter had been bringing fish into the boat, now he was going to be a fisherman of men to bring more people into the kingdom. Just as the apostle Paul started church after church to create beloved brothers and sisters only to leave them with tears in his eyes and do it again to bring more people in. Let us likewise fix our eyes firmly on children, who are not our children, on neighbors who are not our family, and on those who are hurting whose names we don't even know yet, so that they can be brought in just as Christ brought us in, just as Peter reeled in fish and Paul reeled in more and more people go to the nations and make disciples because they all need to know they are all every last one beloved by God and welcome into his kingdom. To say to another person, hey, I don't know you yet, but I want you to know that now I'm going to make you dear in my heart in prayers to God. I didn't know you at one point, but here you are. Now I know your name, but I don't really know you yet, but I'm going to bring you into my heart because Christ has brought me into his and he wants you as well. So I'm here for you and what you need. And I'm here to proclaim to you. And I'm here to lift you up in prayer because Christ has done these things for me and for you both. And you too can come and be in Christ. Let us learn the names of others so that we can teach them his name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you are, like me, perpetually distracted and unable to remember why you've walked out into the garage. Why you came here, why we are together then let me remind you, this is what it means for you and I to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It means that we're going to together go to the nations. We're going to make disciples. We're going to baptize in the name. And we are going to teach His commands. We're going to hear them. We're going to learn them. We're going to remember them. We' are going to do all things. We're going to live all things and speak all things in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, our one God. Father God, oh I thank you that your grace has not ended, that there's no depth, or no end to the depths of your mercy that you have loved us so greatly and so much. Father, I pray that you would remind us and reawaken us to what we ought to do. And I pray that you would allow us to be fruitful, even in the worst of times. Father God, I do pray that wherever we go to proclaim your peace, our plans would succeed and you would give us peace And freedom and ease as we proclaim it. But I also commit that nothing will deter us from obeying the command that you've given us. We love you so much and we rejoice that we get to do this together in Jesus' name. Amen.